We're going to read the Bible now. There are two readings, and the first is on page seven of your zine. It's from Ezekiel 13, one to nine. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say, the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. The next reading is Galatians 1, 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man from men rather, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thanks, Elise, for reading the Bible to us this afternoon. And... um, Thanks, Haley, for just leading us in a cracking time of prayer. And uh, I love that heart that, um, as Haley prayed, that God might lead each one of us to know more about his son, Jesus, this afternoon. Um, there's no better prayer than that. And uh, so I echo that prayer as we reflect on God's word together. And um, if I haven't actually said hi to you yet and you're new with us this afternoon, my name's Craig, and I'm the minister here at the Garrison at 4 p.m., and um, a real joy to have you celebrate church with us this afternoon. Um, let's, uh, let's pray. But I think what I'm going to do in our opening prayer time, I'm just going to give us, it's going to be about 10 seconds of silence. And um, just for us to kind of settle and chill out and... Just find that space, and then I'm just going to say a short prayer for us, and we're going to reflect on uh, this book of Galatians that we're starting to explore here at church. 
So uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, lead us to the truth as we reflect on your son, Jesus, and the very character of you, the God who has given us life. So lead each one of us this afternoon by the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Galatians, uh, which we're going to be reading for the next, I don't know, eight weeks or something. It's a big book, a couple of weeks in each chapter. The book of Galatians is all about understanding and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're new to Christianity, it's really helpful to know this term, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's actually the central message and truth of Christianity. And if you've been a Christian for 10 or 15 or 20 years, it's incredibly important for you to build your faith upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to explore it today and in the weeks that are following. And while the main theme of Galatians is this term, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Chris alluded to earlier, the challenge and the warning of this book that we're going to read is just how easy it is to change the gospel of Jesus Christ and in doing so lose the truth and the power and the salvation that lies at the heart of what Jesus is on about. I think Galatians is a great book for us to read today here in Sydney, 2018, because my gut tells me that what our city needs more than ever are Christians who are willing to be Christians, and as such, to be different, and as such, provide an alternate way of thinking and living life. Perhaps something that our city, our friends, our family don't really need are Christians who are in some way sort of ashamed of Jesus, who even with good intentions, perhaps try to sort of redefine the faith in a way that looks a little bit more like maybe the secular world around them. There's lots of different terms for this sort of thing. Um, some people call this progressive Christianity. Um, in some theological terms, you may use the label liberal Christianity for this. I, I guess it doesn't really matter what you call it, but it's marked by an often um, good desire, good desire to make Christian faith more accessible. Um, but it can tragically end up making Christian faith so bland that Jesus kind of resembles more of a self-help guru than the Lord and Saviour of the world. Back in 2001, um, most of you will know, a British TV comedy was released called The Office. It was a brilliant piece of comic genius, uh, centering around the often ridiculous politics and egos found in the everyday office environment. It was so good that I struggled to watch it. I loved it and hated it at the same time, because the lead character, David Brent, was written so brilliantly as a delusional good guy boss that I was equally captivated and infuriated with every episode. 
Now, four years later, this TV show was picked up by NBC and reworked for an American audience. And as such, they really, or my perspective, they really needed to dumb down the comedy. They needed to remove the nuance that was in the British version. They needed to kind of telegraph every joke. And while the actors in the US version still did a great job, it was just a completely different show. Because they had written out the very comedy that made the original so genius. And this is the issue that Christians face today. In fact, this letter, Galatians, will tell us we've always faced this issue. There are some who seek to rewrite Christian faith to make it more accessible, understandable, relatable, which I totally get. But they often find themselves left with a completely different faith. One that has written out the very salvation that makes Jesus so powerful and so different. Perhaps what our city needs are loving followers of Jesus, loving followers of Jesus who are not ashamed of the powerful, confronting, life-giving gospel of Jesus. And perhaps that is exactly who God is transforming you into this year. So let's have a look at this book we're reading, uh, Book of Galatians. It's the ninth book in the New Testament. Uh, It's considered the earliest New Testament letter that we have written by Paul. It was written around 48 AD, maybe 49, 48 AD. Now, there's a common myth that Christianity is the result of kind of um, power-hungry religious types who elaborated upon the life of Jesus over a couple of centuries to sort of come up with a religion. And the sceptical ones would say uh, a religion in which you could sort of manipulate the masses. You hear similar thoughts from people who say, isn't Jesus kind of like King Arthur? King Arthur is sort of a mythical medieval figure who was created by potentially imaginations of a few generations, but sort of based on some original human. And whilst this theory fits really nicely in a Dan Brown novel, um, the cool thing is real Christianity is just very different. Here in the book of Galatians, we have a text that we can date to 48 AD that will express the exact same belief about Jesus Christ and what it looks like to follow and worship him that, that we talk about today here at the Garrison in 2018. And conspiracies are super fun, but the early date and the reliability of the New Testament documents actually leave us with the exciting prospect that the Jesus we read about in Galatians is actually the same Jesus as history. And so we have this ancient letter, and its destination is a bunch of churches in the region of Galatia. It's an area in modern-day Turkey. And interestingly, its author, the Apostle Paul, He starts this letter really different to all these other letters. And what I mean by this is that he he uncharacteristically begins with a confronting and shocking message to the churches in Galatia. And we read it there in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, the Apostle Paul is a pretty encouraging guy. So if you read Ephesians, Philippians, even 1 Corinthians, and they were like a really screwed up church, 
he has like really encouraging words to say at the opening of his letters. But here in Galatians, it's very different. And the fact that he cuts straight to the chase in this letter must be because he's addressing something which he at least considers to be really dangerous that needs immediate attention. I think if you think about it this way, if you see someone about to fall onto railway tracks, um, you don't ask them to share their feelings or like what their favorite color is. No, you just grab their arm and you yank them back to safety. High danger calls for immediate action. And that seems to be the opening, what the opening section of Galatians is all about. He's like, I'm so astonished. I've just like, he said hi briefly, but then he's like, I'm so astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's fair to ask though, what's so dangerous about deserting the gospel of Jesus? It's a great question, and to unpack that, we need to first understand what this word gospel means. And I only do that because if you read it, he uses this word six times in three sentences. So it's like, well, he's, he's dropping this word all the time, so we should really work out what it means. Gospel is not first and foremost a Christian word, although these days it's really only used by Christians. Um, but in 48 AD, it was a term that had been used by the ancient Israelites and the Greeks and also the Romans. It was a pretty common term. The ancient Israelite gospeler was a runner carrying an important message, often from the scene of a battle, and getting the news through as quickly as possible was what mattered. And there's some accounts of gospelers in 1 Samuel and also in Kings. Um, gospel language is also common in ancient Greek writings. And so indeed, today's word marathon comes from what the ancients called a gospeler, um, who was running from marathon to Athens, bringing the news, rejoice, we have won. Roman emperors would bring a gospel message with them if they had conquered new realms and expanded the empire. So Plutarch, in his histories, writes about gospels of Julius Caesar. So the thing to note, though, is that a gospel was never for something trivial. Uh, it's the language of a significant announcement. And at the time of Jesus, a gospel was the announcement of monumental good news mostly about victory in battle and the rise and fall of kingdoms. So Jesus, what he does is he takes this common word and he uses this word, he almost kind of redefines this word to refer to God's work in this world. And the Apostle Paul was passing on the teaching and language of Jesus. You could say Jesus gospeled. Uh, that is, he journeyed far to announce the arrival and victory of God's kingdom into this broken world. And what exactly was the gospel that he brought? Well, thankfully, Paul actually indicates it at the very start of his letter. He wrote it down for us in verse 3. And if you have a look there, he says this, grace and peace. Now, the word peace there is not like kind of Buddha on a mountaintop peace. That word peace is actually about the end of war, peacetime when a war has come to an end. And if you remember that iconic image of a guy dancing down George Street at the end of World War II, the dancing man, you get the sense of what peace feels like when war is over. And so Paul uses that word. So he starts by saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think there's three things to note about this gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul writes. Firstly, number one, he says Jesus gave himself for our sins. Um, This is substitution language, but it's kind of soaked in generosity, as we looked at last week. Um, So the Son of God came gospeling, but he didn't just have a message. He was the message. Jesus came to take the punishment for you and I for ignoring God, and that substitution took place on the cross. And so later in Galatians, we're going to look at this in a few weeks, Paul will write, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Substitution. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ involves him substituting himself for you and for I. But the question is, why would he do this? And secondly, Paul writes this, to rescue us from the present evil age. Now the phrase, this present evil age, is not a reference to any one particular generation. Um, So in the past, sometimes people have used this passage to demonize rock music or to demonize dancing, or it's usually some new technological advance to demonize television or the internet, or just to kind of mock Nickelback. But you know, uh, but understand that this present evil age uh, is not referring to any one particular generation. So in the Bible, it speaks of two ages. It keeps things really simple. The present age and the age to come. We're living in the same age as when Paul wrote this letter. And the present age is one that's marked by brokenness and evil. An age in which God's creation enjoy the good things he gives, but we often reject the giver. It's an age in which we experience some of the goodness of God's created world and order, but we also find ourselves in significant disorder The age to come is one that is marked by renewal, healing, restoration. Um, It's one in which, actually, the Bible will say we find our true humanity as we are finally free to truly love God and love each other. British theologian John Stott, he writes on this passage, he said, the purpose of Christ's death, therefore, was not only to bring us forgiveness... But, having been forgiven, we should live a new life, the life of the age to come. Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. And so it seems like the Christian life is not just a set of actions that kind of pave our way to heaven. Uh, This is, in fact, a belief that the book of Galatians is going to condemn Instead, Jesus secures us in his eternal kingdom through bearing the punishment of our sin. And then he says, come and get used to my eternal kingdom now by being shaped by it. You're going to be there forever. Be shaped in this age by the age to come. And that involves our lives experiencing transformation, healing, restoration, 
And thirdly, Paul writes this, this has actually been God's plan all along. To him be the glory. I take it that's his way of going, wow, what a cool plan. So to God be the glory. And so to go back to the original question, what's so dangerous about deserting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think in this context that we're reading, to change this gospel is really significant. Um, because the message itself is incredibly important. It, it's almost the same as changing the message from the battlefield of we've won the battle to we've been defeated. And Paul's point is you can't change the gospel of Jesus Christ and still think of it as Christianity. And that appears to be exactly what's happening in the region in Galatia. And we're going to see this over the coming weeks. The passage doesn't take us there today, so we're not going to spend too much time there. But in 48 AD, this changing of the gospel seemed to take place through imposing Jewish customs on non-Jewish Christians as a necessity for being accepted and part of God's kingdom. But we'll get to that later in the letter. It's interesting, some commentators have been quite critical of Paul's tone in this letter, saying that his call, which we read, I think, in verse 7 or 8, his call for teachers who change the gospel of Jesus to be cursed, um, the word he used there is pretty sharp. It's like a really aggressive, like, there's a bit of criticism saying, yeah, Paul is unloving and doesn't fit the tone of Jesus whom Paul represents. So there's been some criticism of Paul's tone in this letter. But I don't know if this could be a real issue or problem. See, remember the train tracks? Immediate danger calls for urgent rescue. Yeah? If someone's about to get hit by a train, you don't sort of try and find the closest easy boy chair and sort of wheel it near them and sit them down and get a drink and just like ease them back. That's ridiculous. You don't have the time. It's you just grab them, and that's going to be a bit confronting and shocking, but you save them, and there is rescue, and then there's celebration. And this is actually the very shape of Jesus' ministry as well. I'm reading from John Stott again. I'm kind of like going with the British today, but um, reading from John Stott, he says this, uh, did not Jesus himself utter a solemn warning to the person who causes others to stumble saying that it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, Mark chapter 9. It seems then that Paul, far from contradicting the spirit of Jesus, was actually expressing it. Stott goes on to say, of course, we live in an age in which it is considered very narrow-minded and intolerant to have any clear and strong opinions of one's own, let alone disagree sharply with anybody else. As for actually desiring false teachers to fall under the curse of God and be treated as such by the church, the very idea is to many inconceivable. But I venture to say that if we cared more for the glory of Christ and for the good of souls, we too would not be able to bear the corruption of the gospel of grace. When I watched the American version of The Office, um, I could see the comic element and I had a laugh, but I was gutted because I just thought, you know what, they've totally stuffed this up. But that was me in relation to a television sitcom. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is just in another whole category. 
That is, he journeyed far to announce the arrival of God's kingdom in our broken world. And if you've ever rubbed shoulders with the brokenness of this world, and I know all of us have in some degree, then this news, this gospel is worth grabbing onto with two hands, not changing, not diluting, not dumbing down. It's just too good. God has heard your cry and he has done something powerful through his son, Jesus. And my gut tells me that what our city needs more than ever are Christians who are willing to be Christians and as such to be a bit different and as such provide an alternate way of life, of making sense of life and then the shape of life. And indeed, that's my prayer, is that our community will continue to become this sort of loving, warm, countercultural community, where we make some sort of odd decisions sometimes, and that's intriguing. And so today, I guess, I want to invite you, as we begin this letter of Galatians, to, to recapture the wonder of the original, Ephesians 2 declares with joy, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is actually not from yourself. He says it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can receive God's forgiveness and eternal life. Hear this, you don't earn forgiveness and eternal life. You receive forgiveness and eternal life. And then over a lifetime, allow God's spirit to change you as you take this gift and live it out. And if you're new to Christian faith, this is key to hear. We receive God's work and then we respond. And if you've been a Christian for 10, 12, 15, five years, this is key for you to hear because we're just little like doers. We love doing stuff, which is great, because God does stuff too, and he creates, and we're in his image. But it's not good when we slip into this mindset of going, I've got to do more, otherwise God will reject me. Now, the Christian life is very active. There's a lot of doing. But none of it has to do with our place before God. We receive so I encourage you, again, as I did last week, switch yourself onto receiving mode. Have eyes and a heart that can see what God is doing and is giving you each day. And just, like, take it. It's a gift. And pray that God will help you be changed by it. I want us to recapture the wonder of the original and to celebrate it here in this community and uh, tonight we're going to share dinner together, and um, the feast is Jesus' own metaphor for the new creation, the new age. And so when we eat as a community, we eat differently. Uh, we eat because we are waiting on God's new age, and uh, it's marked by food and people and conversation and good music, and so we even celebrate differently. Praise God. I wonder whether we can be witnesses to this in our workplace and with our friends. I wonder if we can extend invitations to those around us. I wonder if we can keep praying that God might be at work in our community here and also in our friends and family. 
So I'd love to lead us in a prayer now, and um, the prayer will just be that God will lead you to receive his grace. He's done the heavy lifting uh, for you to receive that with an open heart and then to be changed by it. So I'm going to pray and just ask that God will be doing that in your life. Uh, Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, I just pray that that you will continue to be shaping and molding our lives. Um, Lord, I pray that you might continue to be growing us up to be men and women who are ready for heaven. (laughs) The way we speak to people and the way we act and the the way we think um, might just represent your new creation. Uh, Lord, I pray especially for those of us who... um, feel in incredibly caught up and broken in this current evil age. Lord, I pray for those of us who um, have real deep and crippling anxiety. I pray for us, for those of us who have addictions or we're enslaved to something that we, we just can't seem to give up. Um, Lord, I pray for those of us who just feel like we're held captive by the opinions of others And Lord, we recognize that none of these things are really the shape of your new creation. And so we know that you want to help us move through them. And so Lord, I pray that wherever each one of us find ourselves today, that that we'll know that you're on our side, that we'll receive the gift of grace, and that your spirit will move us to keep growing up as Christian men and women, finding freedom in, in you. And so just lead us in this direction. And uh, we ask this in the name of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus. Amen.